Welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. This week we've got a Black Panther trailer, we've got news from Cloak and Dagger, Runaways, New Warriors, Infinity War, and a whole lot more. Also, we'll sit down and look back at Agent Carter Season 1, and then finish with a conversation about the state of women in the MCU. This is the MCU Exchange Podcast, and it's hard for a good man to be king. On the podcast today, we have got uh, a special guest. So we have Adam and Rhiannon as usual, uh, but we also have uh, Anne-Marie with us. So Anne-Marie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Caleb. Um, my name's Anne-Marie. I'm from Boston. Um, I know Rhiannon from way back, so I was delighted to get an invitation to join you guys today. Um, my MCU experience lays heavily in the TV universe, but I'm happy to weigh in on the, the uh, movies as well, if I can. And I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I didn't know you were in Boston. I live down in Providence, so oh, we are lovely. not too far away. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, we'll jump into our news, as we usually do first up. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and start with the major news. Uh, we got a Black Panther trailer on Friday night during the NBA Finals. Adam, I'm going to start with you on this one because I feel like you reacted very positively to this on social media. What, what were you excited about in the Black Panther trailer? Every little bit of it, man. Oh, it was so good. Um, Where can I start? Uh, Well, first and foremost, I mean, Run the Jewels uh, is probably one of my favorite uh hip-hop groups um so to hear legend has it was absolutely amazing and it and it uh it kind of goes with the whole uh thing uh claw was going with you know he may seem like wakanda's uh a really hidden gem of sorts you know uh, ever ross described it as the uh as a developing country and such um so i get why they chose it you know run the jewels is definitely uh big um big group especially when it comes to marvel i know they use the song in uh, iron fist um and they use their album covers for cover swipes on various uh variant covers um for comics um so i love that you know it just looks i mean overall it looks like a completely different movie than what we've seen before you know it, to me it really didn't focus um so much on black panther himself as it did all the stuff that comes with Black Panther, you know, the uh, Dora Milaje, the Wakanda, you know, we got our first look at uh, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker. Um, it just, I almost got like some James Bond type vibes from it. You know, it seems like, I don't want to call it a heist movie. It just seems different. And that's what I think so appealing. And, um, uh, as soon as it aired, you know, Twitter was blown up. Um, all sorts of different pro uh, football players I follow uh, started talking about it and tweeting it. So uh, it's definitely picking up steam. And I've been looking forward to the trailer um, actually since Comic-Con last year because uh, Chadwick Boseman was at Zachary Levi's offsite at Nerd HQ. He did a panel and I was so impressed by him. I thought he was super smart and well-spoken for such a young guy who you know, really sort of burst on the scene with 42. So I was I was psyched to see it. I think it looks gorgeous. I had no idea what I was looking at. Like, you know, all the stuff that Adam just went through, I still have no idea what he's talking about. But I still was really excited for it. 
I I didn't get like the chills and everything that everybody else got. So, but I mean, just seeing everybody's reaction even got me even more hyped. And I'm all in. I mean, Lupita, uh, I think I might have just butchered her name from The Walking Dead. Um, all, all of that. Yeah, it, it just looks great. I don't think there's much more I can say than that. Yeah, I was uh, the thing I thought was really cool is that Marvel has sort of developed this house style people talk about. And the good side of it is the movies fit together. But the bad side is people will complain that all Marvel movies look alike. And I felt like the visuals on this, whether it was the settings or it was the cinematography or what exactly, I'm not the best analyst to pick it apart, but it felt like it looked like a different movie. Like it gave us a lot of flavor that is unique and different. And I I just think that's good. I think that we need to have refreshing movies. Once you get to film 20, you know, of a, a franchise, the last thing you need is for it to feel like it's all the same. And this definitely doesn't feel that way. I mean, you know, there's the obvious part that the cast is far more diverse than any other Marvel movie. So that obviously doesn't feel the same. But even the tone of the movie and the style and uh, the way they shot things. It's just, uh, we always talk about MCU movies opening up a new universe or a new corner to the universe. And it just, it looks to me like that's happening. Um Michael B. Jordan has always been such a nice guy in most of the movies that I've watched that the one there's like one head on shot just straight up looking in his eyes as he does like this like maniacal evil grin. And I just it was like the biggest like take my breath kind of moment where I was like that guy's going to be awesome and it's going to be so cool. I'm really excited about it. And so, uh, yeah, I felt like it gave us a lot of stuff. It was a great first trailer and that there was a lot of visuals. Uh, but not a ton of plot. Um, I feel better about how many people are in this movie because it seems like they all had a role, even in the trailer. So um, I think that's just going to be, I don't know, it's going to be very uh, interesting to see it develop. So uh, Before we move on from it, Adam, did you get any sense of any plot details? Not not really. Um, you know, pretty much everything covered in the synopsis is kind of what happened in the trailer. You know, it looks like... Uh, Killmonger breaks uh, Claw out from this Korean safe house or wherever it's at, and those two go on to wreak havoc in Wakanda. Um, I would guess they're both pushing separate agendas, but they're teamed together. Obviously, Claw wants access to the vibranium, whereas Killmonger wants revenge or, or something of that nature. You know, Michael B. Jordan killed it. Um, but in terms of plot, you know, I'm not sure it revealed much more than what we kind of knew um by reading the synopsis and you know that's in pretty much every single black panther comic run that's kind of the recurring theme you know he's he's a king and there's always seems to be a power struggle with the different tribes of wakanda and and some of the dora milaji go rogue and things of that nature so it kind of fits in with the the comic lore it's not like uh Coogler and company pulled something out of thin air and and are running with it it should fit um with most things and you know Everett Ross is one of the uh bigger supporting characters um too so I look forward to uh, Martin Freeman's role in this whole thing. yeah I didn't realize until someone mentioned later that it's kind of a Lord of the Rings uh reunion 
because you had like Frodo and uh, Gollum in the same room together in that scene, which was kind of funny. Um, so yeah, I'm. I think that it, it looks it looks really good, and I think it's going to be a really it's really well timed. I think after Guardians and Thor Ragnarok, we're going to be so hyped on the cosmic stuff, and we're going to be having a lot of that coming in Infinity War too. That Black Panther is going to be an awesome kind of palate cleanser in the middle. Something that's wo- far more situated on Earth. Uh, a lot more practical effects and, you know, hand battles and gunfights and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's it's going to be good. Any other thoughts on Black Panther, folks, before we move along? All right. Uh, Rhiannon, we'll let you talk on this one first. Um, we found out that Ros- Rosario Dawson is coming back to Luke Cage. Uh, She was seen uh, in Manhattan filming with Mike Coulter, and they seemed to be uh, romantically entangled to some degree. Uh, I know I immediately was bummed out because I am well on record of hating the Luke Cage-Rosario Dawson relationship. Uh, Any thoughts on that, or are you surprised that we we have her kind of back in a major role on Luke Cage? I... I was floored by how many people were upset about that. I mean, it's pictures of them kissing. I mean, there's like a little squabble. Like, there's one picture where they're mad at each other, and then there's like five pictures of them kissing. I'm really excited. I mean, I I breathed the sigh of relief that Claire should survive Defenders. Of course, as somebody has pointed out, Reva was in Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, and she was dead for all of that. Right. Um. So she, she definitely, you know, it could be some weird flashback from the Defenders that they're filming, but it most likely means that Claire survives the Defenders, and there was just that little bit of concern that they might bring them together by killing her. So I was really excited to see it. I was really surprised how many fans were not excited to see it. How many fans are like wanting them to break up so that Jessica and Luke can end up together. And uh, you know, to those fans, I say it's the first episode. They're filming the first episode. And that first episode is looking even more exciting to me. I don't know, Caleb, if you've had a chance to see it. Yeah, today. keep going. <laughs> I know Amory will have thoughts on Claire, but um but the the first episode is looking even more exciting because it's coming out today that it looks like it's being directed by Lucy Liu. Uh, she's an elementary. A lot of folks may know her from back in the day. She was on Ally McBeal. Uh, she was in Charlie's Angels. Um, just really exciting that they would have a woman directing the first episode of Luke Cage and that, you know, one with such an action-packed history. I, I, it, Luke Cage is looking interesting. I adore Claire Temple. Uh, she might be my favorite person in the television universe um and i hadn't actually thought rihanna and it's so clever that you said it that her death would bring the defenders together she is the common link between them all um i hadn't thought that darkly so uh i hope that she does survive you haven't thought about the avengers as much as many other people they brought the avengers together by killing oh, phil yes. colson that's true who i also love uh, Clark Gregg. Yeah. I love him very much. Um, but yeah, I love, I was excited to see Claire anywhere. Um, I, you know, I also love Jessica though. So love triangle, notwithstanding, I was happy to see Claire in anything. Um, I'm reading the current run of Jessica Jones right now, which 
focuses a bit on Jessica and, and Luke and their child. So I also am very sort of heart heavy in the Luke Jessica world. So I'll be curious to see what it means in the, the grand scheme. Um, and I did see the Lucy Lou news and I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I had a long standing grudge against Lucy Lou because of Allie McBeal, but I've gotten over it. So I'm, I'm excited to see her uh, behind the camera doing smart things. Yeah, I, I would just say, Rhiannon, you mentioned that it's only the first episode, but if these things release like we think it is, it means that we'll have all of Defenders and then all of Jessica Jones season two. Right. With no Luke and Jessica, right? And so I, I've been rewatching the Netflix shows this summer, and it is shocking to me the difference in the chemistry between Jones and Luke Cage and Claire and Luke Cage. I just, for, just for me, I just don't, I don't get it. Like, um, I don't know. It seemed like they worked so well on screen together, Jessica and Luke, that I don't know. I just want to see it, see that happen more than I want to see Claire. Partially, too, because I, you know, I've said on this show, I feel really uncomfortable with the fact that they've given Claire about six different love interests throughout the show, or, you know, it just feels like they're always mixing things up, so. And and I want, I want Luke and Jessica to end up together. Now, I'm with you on that, but I want Claire to survive. Uh, moving on, Runaways uh, is going to start filming their main season now. They have, uh, they did a pilot uh, a while back. And now they're getting into the full production of the show. And uh, we just got an interview this week with Greg Sulkin, who's going to play Chase. And he was talking about how they wanted to keep the show pretty true to the original, uh, but that Chase might be the character that is most changed from the original comics. Um, I don't think I have too much more to add there, unless one of you guys do. Um, I think it's natural they're going to change these characters some. Um, I think teenagers are probably different today even than they were five or ten years ago, so you always have to adapt to that. And we've talked about that some with Spider-Man Homecoming and how they're changing Flash Thompson and all that kind of stuff. Uh, next is a bit of confusing news, and Rhiannon, you may be able to help us out here. Um, there were rumors this week that Cloak and Dagger may have been already renewed for a second season, or they're just going back to finish the first season. Uh, you wrote that up for the site, Rhiannon. Is there anything there that makes sense to you? Yeah, that was just like, it was a couple of lines from Spoiler TV that they heard a rumor that Cloak and Dagger is getting ready to start filming in New Orleans again. And they said they thought it was for the second season. Now, that was before we got the Runaways news saying that they were getting ready to finish their first season filming. And if you remember, Runaways and Cloak and Dagger both did that initial filming at the same time. And the information on both of them stopped. You know, they filmed one episode and stopped. And everything that we saw for Cloak and Dagger was they filmed the pilot. So I think the site that heard that rumor, yeah, I think it was a bad rumor. I think they're doing the same thing as Runaways. I think they're probably gearing up to finish filming the first season because they're both on the same schedule to come out early 2018. They're both... They both filmed a pilot in February, um, and to start right now, it would make sense that they're just finishing up the first season. Now, maybe somebody knows something and it has been renewed for a second season, but I'm finding that less and less likely. Yeah, it struck me. The thing about it that was interesting to me is that uh, given that it's only a 10-episode order anyway, uh, even if they had renewed for, say, a second season, it really is more akin to 
when a network show like orders half a season and then picks up the second half because they're not you know producing that many of them anyway um it would be a good news if they are doing more of it because that means freeform is is pretty excited about it but um we'll have to see uh also we saw that new warriors is supposed to be uh starting production in atlanta soon uh for their first season um Emery, are these shows exciting to you? Do you know much about these properties? Are these things you're looking forward to as far as New Warriors, Cloak and Dagger, all this kind of second generation of Marvel TV? Well, um, Runaways I'm definitely excited for. I, at Rhiannon's urging, um, read Runaways, gosh, I guess it was around the holidays this past year, um, and loved it. And and I'm really excited for that. And And so Cloak and Dagger kind of falls on the heels of that in my mind so yeah I, I mean the universe just keeps expanding the the potential for opportunity is is immense and quite honestly in this day and age I'm looking for anything that takes me away from reality so the more they can do the better for me <laughs> I'm all for it going on to our next story uh, Spider-Man Homecoming is coming very very soon and Robert Downey Jr. is telling us that all of the early screenings with friends and family are very, very positive. Uh, that's not super surprising. I don't think he'd get on and say, oh, it's terrible. Nobody's liking it. Um, but still, it's, uh, it's good to hear that they're having some good internal news. Reminds me of when um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 got a lot of good internal reviews as well. Uh, there's also just been a lot more interviews. If you want to know everything you can about Spider-Man Homecoming... Uh, go to MCU Exchange, just use the tag Homecoming, and you'll see a bunch of interviews with Tom Holland and Zendaya and a whole bunch of uh, the cast as they're kind of doing their tour around the world right now. Uh, it was interesting to hear Tom Holland say that um, Spider-Man is kind of, his version is based more on the ultimate Spider-Man than on regular Spider-Man. Uh, by that, he does not mean Miles Morales, I don't think. He means... Um, Peter Parker from the Ultimate Universe, even though I would note that they are stealing Genki from um, Spider-Man. Not that I'm sore about that anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, Adam, I know you're the world's biggest Spider-Man fan. Uh, is there uh, anything this week that kind of was interesting to you? I mean, how do you feel Marvel's done with uh, adapting Ultimate stuff and mixing it with, you know, 616 conti continuity as far as the movie? Um... You know, if I'm not mistaken, Ultimate Peter Parker, that's one of the uh, most touching... You always read these lists, and that's the, the, the most touching comic panel is when the Ultimate Peter Parker dies. So hopefully they're not already planning Tom Holland uh, leaving the MCU anytime soon. Um, I mean, Miles Morales w would be the best thing to come over from that universe, of course. But as always, um, no matter what uh, RDJ says, you know, it's just, it's it's getting hard for me to get excited to it. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's it's Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if Marvel Studios uh, had creative control over a Spider-Man movie and did bad, I don't know what would happen. You know, would the Earth just stop rotating then? Would it explode? I mean... I, I kind of expect them to do very well on a, uh, a Spider-Man movie, I guess. And it, it is kind of getting to the point now, especially with all these NBA Finals, I don't know what you want to call them, promo clips or whatever. Um, 
you know, they are very stark heavy, but I get that um, because Robert Downey Jr. sells. Um, but I just don't want it to be Iron Man 4. Yeah. Uh, do either of the other of you have any thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming and uh, kind of your excitement level for it? I have loved the NBA clips. The, the I, I mean, to me, they don't... they. They're just fun little additional things in the universe. Um, I'm hoping the Iron Man stuff is just hype to get people to the movie and just to like Sony ramming it in. This is in the MCU. This is in the MCU. Um, but I'm just ready for it to be. Here. I'm I am the world's largest arachnophobe, so Spider Man is not my favorite. <laughs> um, but I have to say I have a lot of love for Tom Holland lately. He's really adorable. So I might have to have Rigo first and just let me know how many actual spiders we're dealing with. I'll be good. I will do that for you. Thank you. I feel like uh, we need to bring Ryan Parker on more. He was with us last week. If you listen to the podcast, Ryan's a huge Spidey fan and it's weird. I think, I mean, MCU exchange, we have a lot of writers, but I just, I don't think anybody other than Ryan, like, really loves Spider-Man, which is kind of weird since he's, like, you know, the number one character in the entire Marvel fold. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm one of the biggest Spidey enthusiasts. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to all this stuff. Sony's marketing department just needs to stop. Like, they just, they think that more is more. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need him crammed into one more ad. I don't need Spider-Man, you know talking to DJ Khaled as if it's like a scene out of Luke Cage. Like, it just, I, I don't need it. I want to see the movie. You've done a good job of enticing me. So, you know. But we could have Tom Holland dancing in drag anytime. <laughs> yes, We're just that dancing. Has... Just Tom Holland on everything. I can handle that. You know that there is some exec at Sony that's like, Oh, if we had known that's all it would have taken, we could have saved ourselves a hundred million dollars, you know? <laughs> oh. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's coming quick. I, I'm just, I'm fearful of spoilers. I still have, we have four weeks till that movie comes out. And so I'm just afraid that I'm going to be surprised by absolutely nothing. Just because Sony seems to be like breaking into homes and like putting it into intervenous drips into our arms, you know, like they just cannot leave enough alone, so. Yeah, I did see the most recent trailer because I went to see Wonder Woman and it was on before Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. My whole like idea of not watching the most recent trailer was blown because there was no way to get away from it. Yeah, it would have been really awkward if you just started like plugging your ears and screaming at the top of your lungs like, I don't want to see this. (laughs) The crowd at this theater, nobody would have really noticed. It was (laughs) everybody was loud. Uh, the last bit of news I wanted to touch on real quick, uh, Infinity War continues to just build cast. Uh, we have found out that M'Baku from Black Panther is going to be in this movie, as well as Shuri. Uh, I think it's really interesting that a lot of Black Panther cast is in this, which is surprising me a bit. Uh, we also saw that Cap and Black Widow are going to be on set with Black Panther in what looked like a Wakandan set, uh, which says to me that they're coming to retrieve Bucky. Um, I'm just reading between the lines that the, uh, Bucky is in Wakanda side storyline is not going to be uh part of Black Panther. It's going to be something we pick back up in Infinity War and I'm okay with that. I want Black Panther to have his own space for his own movie. 
but anyway, it's just more and more of those people adding on and um, building into that cast. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they fit all of that stuff into one film. Uh, it's starting to terrify me. Like I always thought that I would really be excited to see 65 superheroes in a movie, but now I'm starting to wonder if it's really that good of an idea. But the Russos are, you know, I guess we just trust them until they prove us wrong. So, any thoughts on Infinity War and casting and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think I'm I'm kind of with you. You know, we we've talked before um, about these large ensemble type deals. <laughs> You know, I mean, Infinity War is probably not going to be the best jumping on point if you've never seen an MCU property before. Um, just there's so much going on. If you're going to have, uh, um, how do you say it, Umbaku, uh, if you have all sorts of these these characters, you know, it's going to be, you're going to need to take a deep breath and carry on you know there's just just going to be a lot to process i mean for us i love the mcu it's going to be probably the best movie of all time um but for those not in tune with it um i'm not sure how one would feel seeing every single mcu character sans the defenders and infinity yeah and i think you know when you take the like a antagonist or like a a side character who doesn't seem to be like the core of Black Panther. I mean, that just shows me how deep they're going into this. Like I never doubted that Black Panther would be in the film, but if we're going to get five or six side characters from that movie as well, you know, like every film can bring with it five or six side characters. So, um, I mean, it's gonna be really, I know Wong is supposed to be in it, I think. Um, and so then I wondered, does Mordo show up, you know, like, in a way, it makes sense for the story that everybody, you know, be all hands on deck. But it also is going to be crazy to see that many characters. Um, and it's it's going to be just really dense. And it'll be interesting to see how it works. So, All right, we're going to move from our news to a segment we've been doing all summer. Uh, usually at this point in the podcast, we've been talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and reviewing those episodes. But obviously, we don't have any new episodes from ABC until September. And so for most of the summer, we are going through uh, our rankings, meaning Adam, Rhiannon, and myself, of the uh, MCU television seasons. So there's been 11 seasons of an MCU TV show. We started at 11, and we are now up to number 9. And number 9 on our list is Agent Carter, season 1. So we've basically in this time been just uh, talking through what we liked, what we didn't like, what we remember kind of going down memory lane as we build up towards defenders so um Anne-Marie, i'll start with you um do you have uh fond memories of agent carter did you watch the show what did you think of it i watched rhiannon mentioned this to me earlier i watched a few episodes of agent carter but i can't remember why it didn't uh get traction with me if it was conflicting with something else that i watched or or whatnot um, I really love Haley Atwell. I think she's incredibly talented, and it's probably something that I would go back and watch. I Rhiannon will laugh when I say this. I I have great anxiety over the the whole universe and trying to do it in the <laughs> proper order. Um, and a lot of people put Agent Carter very near the front of that order, so I feel like I've skipped her, and now I kind of have to go back. So I'm really curious to hear what you guys uh, have to say about season one. Yeah, that's always tricky. I, I know some people think chronological is the way to go. 
I don't know. I think with the MCU, I kind of like release order more than I like chronological order. But um, I don't know. Rhiannon, what were your thoughts on Agent Carter season one? Well, like Anne-Marie, I didn't watch it when it first came out. I watched it as I caught up on the MCU. There again, we have the same mutual friend that's like really hammering in the MCU order. And I felt bad for not watching it in order or even chronologically as they came out. Um, So after I watched everything in the MCU, I went back and watched Agent Carter season one. And I mean, I enjoyed it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't overwhelmingly awesome. Like I felt like there should have been some girl power camaraderie and like, yeah, yeah. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't have any, it was something that, um, the story, I don't know. The story just didn't grab me. And, I mean, maybe it wasn't personal enough, and I know season two maybe got a little more personal, but I, I, and it, I, I, so it wasn't awful, it just didn't give me any overwhelming urge to need to see six seasons in a movie. So, I'm, Adam, we'll get to you in a second. I am interested, though, to ask um, Rhiannon and Anne-Marie about this. Um, a lot of people when this came out talked about how this was um, was kind of like a put your money where your mouth is thing as far as uh, like women representation. You know, they said people are always saying that Marvel should do more with female characters. And here we have a show with a really smart, intelligent woman. It's really hammering home like this theme of how she's coming up against a glass ceiling. And then they would point to the ratings and saying people must really not want this since it's not getting well rated. Uh, even you guys have talked about, you know, you didn't watch it when it first came out. I'm just, I'm curious, just your guys' thoughts of, um, did you feel like, I don't know, do you guys feel any, like, kinship, like you should try to watch it because you do want to see more female characters? Or was this just like a marketing thing? Or was it that they just didn't write it as well as they should have? Um I don't know if any of that's a, a logical question, but take whatever part of it you want to take. I felt at the time, I mean, at the time, I wasn't as emotionally involved in the MCU as I am now. And having, I, I don't think, I hadn't seen Captain America. I didn't see Captain America until after I saw Daredevil, or the, the first Avenger. Or any of them, but, um, you know, especially for Agent Carter. Um so to me like I saw it and it was like a period piece of World War Two, you know and and traditionally period pieces just don't grab audiences either people you know people that love them really love them but they just don't grab audiences and I just say the marketing at the time didn't grab me uh, I had friends that watched it and loved it and I definitely put it you know on my list that one day I'll go back and I'll watch this when it's on Netflix. And it's still not on Netflix, not on Hulu. It's hard to catch up on. So maybe it's one of those that if it had been out on Netflix after the first season, I might have watched it and just really gotten hooked. And maybe it was and it's come down. That's entirely possible. But I felt like I was betraying some of my friends that like really loved it, but I feel that way for a lot of shows featuring all kinds of characters. And I, I certainly didn't feel like I had to watch it because it had a woman. 
I think at the same time, I was a big fan of like Covert Affairs on USA, which had a woman lead doing badass things, traveling around the world as a spy, and it grabbed me a whole lot more. Yeah, I um I had a lot of friends who loved it too and I would, you know, retweet all the retweets to try to save it and I really was excited for a female-led show, but I also wasn't very invested in the MCU at the time. Um so I, you know, I, I didn't understand her significance in it and and what it meant. So, I'm sure that's why. I also am not a huge fan of that period of of history the period piece like Rhiannon mentioned wouldn't have grabbed me off the top so um and I also don't watch a lot of week-to-week television anymore um it's like I'm I'm not watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I want to watch all of it so I you know very likely thought I'll go back and watch that and like Rhiannon said it's hard to watch now there's it's not streaming anywhere so I don't there's very little that I watch week to week. Almost everything I either DVR and watch in bulk or wait for it to stream. Just so you know, I think uh, season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is now on Netflix. So I can if be it's catching not out... up. <laughs> yeah, so if it's, if it's not out now, it should be out in a, a week or two. I remember June is what I saw. So, Adam, did you have any thoughts on Agent Carter season one? Fond memories? It was enjoyable. Uh... You know, like Rhiannon said earlier, um, it's kind of what we all hope for. You know, we're like, ah, oh, cool, this is the, the beginning of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to see S.H.I.E.L.D. get made, which we never did. Um, you know, the moment that always stands out to me is when, uh, what was his name? Dooley, was he like the boss? He's kind of the chief or whatever he had on that. Um, what do you want to call it? Bomb uh-huh. type vest or whatever. You know, he was kind of the hard ass throughout the whole season, and then that moment comes, and you're like, "Oh man, this sucks." Um, yeah, it was enjoyable. I certainly liked it uh, a lot more than season two. Um, but then, yeah, it was it was good. I mean, I don't, I didn't dislike it. I guess I should say I, I thought it was enjoyable. Um, it's not something I'll watch time and time again. Uh, like I to the office or any of the Netflix MCU shows. Um, but I definitely didn't mind it. Yeah. One of my favorite things about the show was, uh, the relationship between Jarvis and Peggy Carter. Um, they had good sort of just, uh, you know, chemistry and repartee. And I think the thing that was really cool is that they had a really meaningful friendship. Uh, you guys have maybe heard me say on the podcast before I get, I get very frustrated that culturally we very rarely see a good friendship in TV or films or media, particularly um, uh, a man and a woman in a good friendship. Uh, We just kind of culturally have convinced ourselves that like romance or sexuality is required for people to have a deep connection. And so I thought it was really cool to see this man and woman who were friends and they got along and they never ever like played with or dipped their toe into them falling for each other and a romantic thing. Jarvis always had a wife that he was always very devoted to. And the fact that they could be buddies and hang out and work together and not have to go into a romantic subplot, I always thought was really cool. And to me, it's refreshing and startling that it happens. Because even on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I was thinking the other day, there's like seven or eight relationships that have developed on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
because heaven forbid a male and female character just get along and be friends, you know? So I always thought that was really cool about Agent Carter. And um, I'm kind of a sucker for the period piece thing. Like, I'm really excited to see Wonder Woman because I love that Captain America, First Avenger, old time, World War Two, World War One. you know, like... Um, romanticism of the past when I was a kid the Rocketeer was one of my favorite movies and it had that same kind of thing going on so I always liked it so but I also uh, I think it is a very specific taste it always seemed weird to me that this was the second MCU uh, TV show on ABC like it just seems an odd property to pick up but um, I enjoyed it back when it was on I, I think it is possible too, starting to transition to our main conversation I think that kind of the um, com- uh, the gender politics of the show were almost too overt and too over, like, you know, bang you over the top of the head. Um, not that things weren't necessarily that way. I just, I don't know. I just don't know if fans want to see a show that they feel like they're getting a, uh, a point driven down their throat, you know? We talked about that with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that some of the political commentary was almost too strong-handed at some times, so. I felt like Agent Carter may have suffered from that, but generally speaking, I always loved the characters and all that stuff. So, all right, let's move on to our main conversation. And uh, the main reason we have Anne Marie with us today is because we're going to talk about uh, women in the MCU and kind of the state of uh, where the MCU is with female creators, female characters. Uh, we've honestly been inspired to do this because Wonder Woman is a big cultural talking point right now it's doing very well at the box office it is finally a dc movie that sounds like it's good and so um i just thought it would be a good time to kind of take um stock of how the mcu is doing with uh female characters and all those kinds of things and we wanted to definitely bring on uh, a couple women to talk about that we felt like it would be kind of weird if adam and i were discussing how women are doing in the mcu uh the Kind of like Congress making certain decisions without women in the room, right? Like, so we uh, just felt like it was the right thing to do. I think Adam and I hopefully will talk a whole lot less here than we usually do because uh, we just want to, you know, I don't know. It would feel icky if it worked any other way. So um, I, just... I don't know, Caleb. You, you're a better feminist than I am sometimes. So <laughs> Thank you. It comes. I, I'm about to have a f- uh, a fourth daughter, so yeah, that has uh, significantly shaped me and how I look at stuff. You know, like, anyways, no one wants to hear yeah. about me talk about that. But anyway, <laughs> um, so let's just start with a really generic question for you guys. Um, how do you? Where do you think we're at? How do you feel about? Uh, we'll start with kind of characters. How do you feel like woman characters are represented in the MCU, and are you kind of happy with it? Or where, where do we still need to go? I feel that this is one subject where the television side and the movie side are vastly different. Um, one of the big things that immediately keeps me from being able to relate to a movie or to a character is if she's running around in heels. Um, you know, in the movies, you still have like the very polished Black Widow and Scarlet Witch. You know, running around in their little outfit that has you know their their spandex outfit with uh, their big old wedge heels and I know like on the TV side you you see that more on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
but they're a little bit more relatable, a little bit um, less perfect. And then, of course, like on the Netflix side, I feel like they're doing fantastic. Um, obviously, I mean, I don't think anybody could say that Jessica Jones isn't didn't change things for women superheroes in some way. Um, so, so I, I feel that it's still across the spectrum. Um, like they can they can play with it on the TV side and they're moving towards it on the movie side. But even then, I don't have any reason to believe that the movie side is going to, when they get to Captain Marvel, that she's not going to still be very polished, spandexy, and in heels. But, I mean, that being said, when I saw the first look at the Wonder Woman outfit when it first came out, I was like, ugh. How could I how could I ever get excited about watching a movie with a woman, you know, in her little loincloth, mostly naked Amazon outfit? And I really loved that movie. So there's still hope on the movie side for me. Yeah, I think Captain Marvel will be a a big uh tell. You know, can they have a female lead? and and make box and and you know make money off of it i loved wonder woman i absolutely loved it i loved every second of it even the world war one parts which i realized counter what i said earlier about agent carter um and it's hard to picture a huge blockbuster on the marvel side with a completely female focus and a female director and um all of that at this point but you know, Captain Marvel's on the horizon. I love Brie Larson. I think she's a great actress. I don't know how much of a screen presence she's going to have in this type of role, but, uh, you know, I'm certainly hopeful for her. Um, On the television side, I love Jessica Jones. I'm a huge Jessica Jones fan, and I could see Jessica Jones in a feature film, uh, but it would be a very different movie. Uh, her, Her power on screen is much more emotional than it is, you know, Kaplow, Kaplooey. Um, so I, I think she could certainly hold her own in a film, but it wouldn't be something that you could compare apples to apples with what Wonder Woman did. Yeah, I've been rewatching Jessica, and um, I came across the realization the other day that uh, there's a couple of actors who, for me, have overtaken the comic book vision I have of a character. Like Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark more than any comic book version of Tony Stark is Tony Stark. And I realized the other day that Jessica Jones is probably a top three or four for me in the whole MCU. As far as Kristen Ritter is Jessica Jones in my head. Like when I, when I look at a comic book, I'm like, that doesn't look enough like Kristen Ritter, you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> totally it bothers agree. me. Cause it's like, she is, uh, and it's weird. Cause I was not in love with the casting. Um, I don't know. This may sound bad. She Kristen Ritter just seemed to be very small for Jessica Jones, you know, like she didn't seem to have like a, uh, a stronger build. Like I was expecting a character that was a powerhouse, you know, but she just, um, the personality and the sarcasm, I mean, it's just, it was so, Jessica was just so perfect. So, um, that kind of brings us into what, what for you guys are, what are the highlights of, uh, when you think of women characters in the MCU, what to you is the best example? I mean, maybe maybe we'd all say Jessica, but just to mix it up, what's a what's a character you think that the um, and I'm particularly interested in 
as as a woman, what characters in the MCU do you feel like are written as a realistic woman? Whereas, you know, sometimes you can tell it's guys writing women's parts. But who has really stood out is a great example of Marvel doing Mariah Dillard in Luke Cage. I felt that she was a very, very real character. Um, and, and just, like, very, very well... I mean, yes, she was a bad guy and, you know, had had her own faults and whatever, but her faults seemed very realistic. And it was just, I enjoyed watching her and it's weird to say found her relatable because it's not like that I related to her, but her, it seemed realistic. Yeah, I've gone on record with, you know, loving Claire Temple. I really do. I think she's fantastic. Um, I think she's a great through line to all of the Netflix Marvel shows. Um, But I do love that Marvel doesn't shy away from the female villain. Um, I love Madame Gao. I think Madame Gao is an incredible uh, presence and and kind of a different type of villain than we're used to seeing. Um, And I I find her very enjoyable. In... Coming up, I'm looking forward to Kate Blanchett in Thor Ragnarok. Um, I think her villain is going to be something. Now, again, not very realistic. I, I don't think anything in Thor is going to be very realistic. So, um, But I think it's going to be very interesting to see him pitted against a, a female villain. Um, so, If we're going for realistic and who we can relate to the most, one day Jessica I'm even going to cosplay. <laughs> no, no. One day I'm going to cosplay Josie. <sighs> nice i cosplay jessica jones just about every friday so (laughs) all right adam i'm gonna let you sneak in here man do you have a favorite female character in the mcu what i mean i i don't know if i could call her a villain more of an antagonist um it's got to be madame gal just because i know in my heart she's the crane mother um i just think she's brilliant um but then again, Alfred Woodard absolutely killed it as Mariah Dillard. You know, in the um, somebody said earlier that it was a vast difference between um, the movie and TV side, and that that's completely true. You know, because I mean, when you think about the the movies, I mean, you have Black Widow, you have Scarlet Witch, you have Sharon Carter. Um, you know, and they. I, have they had more than cameo type roles? You know, I mean, they, they've each had their, obviously it's not their fair share of screen time. Um, you know, nowhere near that. So the, the TV side's certainly doing a better job at it. You have Quake, who's huge on shield. You know, you have, um, why did I told, I totally missed Simmons. That's, that's who it is. She's her roles getting, bigger and bigger as the show progresses you know um but if i had to choose a favorite it will definitely have to be madam yeah i've said often i feel like chloe bennett doesn't get enough credit for how she's grown into the role on shield um you know i'm just really happy for her to be quake because it's a character i like and it's not we didn't know that's who she was going to be when she started so that was cool um i also think that um uh yo-yo on agents of shield I just love the way she is written. Um, There are not, you know, there's been a lot of good commentary on how uh, female actresses kind of 
are treated as if they have an expiration date in Hollywood after they turn like 35 or something. And I don't know how old the actress who plays Yo-Yo is, but very clearly she's at least depicted as a woman in her 40s or at least late 30s. Like, she's not, um, she's obviously not in the same age cohort as, say, Daisy or Gemma. And I just love how confident and self-assured she is. And, like, with Mac, you know, like, Mac kind of tries to pull some, like, stuff relationship-wise. And she's like, no, I'm not putting up with that. I'm too smart for that. And so I just... I've really enjoyed the way that they've dealt with her as a character on that show. So, all right. Um, let me ask the flip side of that. Um, Anne-Marie and Rhiannon, is there, has there been a time where you've seen something in an MCU movie where a female character did something that just made you want to immediately facepalm? You know, like what, what are the, uh, what are the shortcomings so far of the universe as we've tried to kind of talk about these issues? I don't have any like direct face palmy movements but i think i touched on it earlier with just i I mean the movies i mean like pepper Potts. i i you know she eventually got a somewhat decent storyline where she was more than just tony stark's assistant but there's i don't remember her as being a real character i think of her in my head still as you know tony stark's assistant that girl that's there you know the love interest that makes things interesting for you know iron man three was it three that she uh yeah she kind of becomes rescue for like two minutes in iron man three yeah yeah that's you know like she has a little bit in iron man three but uh, you know just the the use of the women in the movie so far just in general doesn't make me excited for the universe yeah you know, the women in the universe yeah and it's almost the the lack of use of the women that we want to see more of that's upsetting like um sif in the thor movies like i feel like lady sif got kind of the shaft in the second movie for the natalie portman storyline that was really kind of useless so um and I was never a huge Black Widow fan I, in the movies. I, I love her backstory. I'm a big Russophile, so I love the whole KGB thing. Um, but again, watching her run around in her tight outfit and her high heels didn't portray to me this sort of tortured soul that I envisioned her to be in my mind. Yeah, I, one of the things that frustrates me uh, comes to casting. Um, and this is... Uh this is maybe my ax to grind. So, you know, give me three minutes for a soapbox and I'll be done. But the, uh, the age of actresses and casting, um, is always interesting when they were looking for Brie Larson. Uh, I felt like Brie Larson might be a little too young to be a captain in the army. Yep. <laughs> and then there were people that looked it up and were like, Oh, well, technically if she was the superstar of the military, she maybe could get there by the time she got there. And I said, you know, I mean, People were talking about um, uh, um, uh, Theron. Char- why? I want to call her Charlize. Charlize. That's Charlize Theron or, you know, someone like that. And I heard a lot of people go, yeah, but, you know, it's kind of hard to cast someone as a 40-year-old for a role like that. And then I started looking it up and I started finding, like, Chadwick Boseman is 40 years old. You know, and nobody was like, he can't be Black Panther. There's not, you know, he doesn't have enough years left in his life to be, you know, spry enough to be Black Panther. Robert Downey Jr. is getting old. 
I mean, at one point, I did like a list of all the current Avengers. Yeah, okay, I have this list still. This is a little out of date. But here's the ages of the people in Civil War. Robert Downey Jr. is 51. Don Cheadle's 51. Mark Ruffalo, 48. Paul Rudd, 47. Paul Bettany, 45. Jeremy Renner, 45. Chadwick Boseman, 39. Anthony Mackie, 37. Daniel Brohl, 37. Chris Evans, 34. Sebastian Stan, 33. Chris Hemsworth, 32. And finally, we get to the first female character. Scarlett Johansson's 31. Emily Van Camp's 30. And Elizabeth Olsen's 27. Like, to me, that's not a mistake. It's not an accident that all of these male superheroes can be 30s and 40s and no one blinks. But you want to, you know, hire a 35-year-old to be a superhero and everybody's like, well, I don't know if she can handle it. So that's been one of my frustrations. Um, I did just look this up and I am impressed and amazed. Uh, Ming-Na Wen on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Do you want to guess how old she actually is? 45. I'm going in the 40s. She is going to be 55 in November. Wow. No. Or no, no, 54 in November. I'm sorry, 54 in November. I didn't do my math right. She was born in 1963. But, you know, like, that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad that she's in the role, and I would have never guessed. I would have been with you guys. But that's, I mean, it's just another way that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does this stuff better than the movies do it. So, um, I also looked up Yo-Yo. I was wrong. She's only about 35. She's not as old as I thought she was. She's she's mature. Yeah. When um they were casting Captain Marvel, there were a bunch of names being thrown around. Charlize's was one. Emily Blunt was one. Um, and Yvonne Strahovski, who was on Chuck uh, back in the the day, she's thirty three. She's gonna be thirty three. And what we were reading was she wasn't even in the mix because of her age and the hope that there would be so many movies in the you know in the span of time that it would take to make however many Captain Marvels they're planning to make that, you know, Oh God, she'd be 40 by the time we're done. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. It, it's, it's so annoying. Uh, my, my fan cast for that was always Katie Sackhoff. Mm-hmm. You know, like she was always Captain Marvel in my brain. And so I'll just have to watch Battlestar Galactica another time or two or three to make myself happy with that, that, that loss. Um, let's talk a little bit on the creative side. We mentioned today that more female directors are being used, um, on the MCU TV side. Also, we have, uh, a man and woman team on, uh, Captain Marvel now coming out. Um, I mean, it's slow progress, but it's some progress, right? Yeah. I mean, behind the scenes. Yeah. There's some progress. Yeah. Well, Jessica Jones is going with all female directors for season two. Is that... Yes, Jessica Jones is going with all female directors. And to me, I mean, that's exciting. It's even more exciting to me, somebody like Lucy Liu jumping into Luke Cage, you know, because it's easy for everybody to step back and be like, oh, well, ladies can direct ladies. And I think that's important. Um, But it's even more exciting to me to see the lady directing the big bulletproof black man Um, and, and getting that respect. You know, just that that would be what they're doing now. Yeah, I think somebody said, well, that it's cool that Wonder Woman was directed by a woman, but right. it'd be really cool when Patty Jenkins gets to do one of the Justice League movies, right? You know, like that, you know, it would be good to see that uh, happen as well. On so. the other hand, I mean, there's there's things I feel like when you're working with any sort of I mean, I mean any sort of minority in any way. 
I think there's certain things that it's kind of kosher for somebody that is a part of that minority to put forward that may not be so if like a white man was putting it forward not to just sort of like it's really delicate territory here but there's a very frank discussion in Wonder Woman regarding the pleasures of sex and I feel like if a man had put that scene together or had put that forward it might feel a little bit creepy even if it came out exactly the same but it could be that there's far more comfort and it feels um far more acceptable um and and it's treated with the right level of delicacy when a woman has put that forward so i think that I think that's where the value of a woman, you know, directing the woman movie and a woman directing the woman series comes in. On the heels of the uh, Black Panther trailer, there was an article, I think Shelby Rhiannon's other podcast partner tweeted about um, a couple of the creative team members who were women of color, which there certainly aren't enough of in Hollywood getting any sort of recognition. But what was interesting was their resumes were in this article and they've worked on some huge movies, including, um, I can't remember if it was the costume designer or the other one, uh, worked on Moonlight, which just won the Oscar this past year. So I think there are a lot of women and people of color working behind the scenes, and we just don't know them. Um, so hopefully, you know, with Patty Jenkins' success, we'll start to hear and see more of, of what they're creating. Yeah, Rhiannon, I just wanted to double back to what you said about sort of delicate conversations that aren't don't feel as comfortable. I think we've seen that in the Netflix shows. Um, I felt better about the hard conversations about, you know, rape and sexual assault in Jessica Jones because I knew that Melissa Rosenberg was the one making those comments, you know, or like shaping that show. Um and similarly, some of the stuff in Luke Cage, it would have been really weird if uh, Scott Buck was making Luke Cage instead of Chio, right? You know, like, there's just certain voices that um, deserve to be able to be the ones that are telling that story, you know? And so I, I, I agree totally with you. Right. All right. Adam, you still with us, man? I am. I'm hanging in there, you know? <laughs> they, they, you guys summed it up good. You know, I don't think I have any information I could add to that. All right, well, we're going to go into our mailbag, uh, which is where we look every day, uh, every week, not every day, every week at uh, comments <laughs> and response to the show. Uh, there was not a whole lot this time. Uh, over on Twitter, Michael Ford was interacting with us, and uh, he clarified, someone asked if Walter Goggins should be um, Mephisto last week, and he said, no, he should only play Carnage. So that's interesting. I have to say, I was screaming at my uh, speakers when I listened to your podcast from last week that I left you guys there when you had the Walton, Go Walton Goggins question, because I love him. I'll take him as anybody in the MCU. Yeah. I think uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda wants to be Carnage, too, right? Do I remember reading that somewhere? Uh, I don't see how that would have gotten past me and Anne-Marie. I know. Uh, <laughs> Lin Lin's very busy, but... You know, put him in all the things. It's fine. It, it, it just makes me think that he'd sing. Like, I, I don't know if I want a singing carnage, <laughs> you know? And 
<laughs> I don't want Lin Manuel in a role that doesn't sing. Oh, here it is, November November twenty second, two thousand sixteen. Lin Manuel Miranda wants to be uh, Carnage. Miranda's a big fan of Marvel, and there's one particular character you'd like to play. It's Carnage. I, I don't know. Going from <laughs> Mary Poppins to Carnage might be a little bit of a jump, but uh, he's so adorable. How could he be anyone named Carnage? Yeah, I, I, I do like the well, idea of, like, a really charming person being a bad guy, though. Uh, I've heard somebody fan cast yeah. uh, Neil Patrick Harris as Mysterio. And that just sounds awesome to me, you know, like, that he's got, like, the smile on his face the whole time he's about to kill you. But He could definitely pull that off if you saw, yeah, the, if you mean, saw Gone Girl. Right. <laughs> All right, yeah. uh, on the webpage, uh, like I said, not many comments. We have our usual uh, Love Waffle and Chris. Uh, sharing their thoughts we really appreciate it guys if you want a good after show just go to the comments and and look at these guys talk uh there's so much here i can't cover it and uh have time to do it all but thank you guys for chiming in we really appreciate it uh if you are new to the podcast thanks for listening we release every monday now and uh, we're excited to have that date change uh if you want to support the podcast you can do so by uh, listening every week, you can subscribe uh, via your podcasting app or SoundCloud or whatever. Uh, you can uh, like us on SoundCloud. You can leave comments there. You can leave comments on the website. You can leave comments on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we try to use the hashtag uh, MCUXPOD, M-C-U-E-X-P-O-D. Um, so feel free to do that. You can also hit us up on Twitter, as we're about to share with you in a minute. It'd be really great if you'd leave us a five-star review on iTunes, uh, as long as along with a few comments about what you like about the show. Uh, those get into some weird algorithm that makes us uh, more um, noticed by people searching for MCU stuff. Uh, also, a big piece of news just on the site, um, Feedspot uh, did a list of the 100 best blogs and websites for movie news, and MCU Exchange was number 30 out of 100. The guys above us were people like Slash Film and Cinema Blend and all those kinds of places. So thank you guys for making that happen. Thank you for uh, liking us on Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff and following us. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you want the latest MCU uh, news, MCU Exchange is the place to go. Uh, we also have great videos up there as well as um, f you know pieces where people speculate on stuff and reviews and, spec and all that kind of stuff. So we'd love for you guys to be there. Uh, all right, we'll close off. If you guys want to uh, kind of go around the table, tell us where we can find you on Twitter and such, and then we'll be done. You can find me on Twitter as Shot of Patron. Um, I'm at A Fayella, F A I E L L A. And I'm on Twitter at Adam Barnhart. Follow all of us so you can uh, talk about all the fun stuff we talk about. Every single second of every day. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter as well as at Caleb A. Borchers. Um, I feel like Twitter's very needy. I'm starting to get, like, pop-up comments. <laughs> Twitter's like, Adam posted something. You like Adam. Come read it. And I'm like, come on, Twitter. Got a life. Good gracious. See, those of us that have been on Twitter forever have, like, you know, trained it not to give us that crap. Yeah, well, it's like if two of my friends post the same thing, I'm getting a, you know you should read this you'll like it too and i'm like thank you twitter algorithm i don't care um anyways amory thank you so much for being on the show with us this week we're really excited to have you and we appreciate you giving us the time thank you 
All right. I think that does it. Until next week, we are signing off. Uh, We'll talk to you guys later. Bye.